Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. Welcome to Revelation chapter 3 of Exhale Bible Discovery. I'm Dr. Paula McDonald, and I'm very excited to get into these last three churches of Revelation. So it's been so interesting to see the similarities of the first four churches that were mentioned in chapter 2 and with our churches today, right? And chapter 3 continues with these final churches addressed by Jesus. And there are so many wonderful messages and warnings that we really must pay attention to. So the first church of the three that we're going to talk about tonight, we call this one the Dead Church. And this is Revelation 3, 1 through 6. Sardis was a very prominent city in Asia Minor, and it was the capital of ancient Lydia. You probably heard about that one in the Bible. The city was known for its gold, wool, and abundant fruits grown in the valley of the mountain. There was a prominent temple to the pagan goddess Cybele, and this goddess worship was very similar to Artemis. The worship of her was a pagan cult that followed for all sorts of debauchery, and a terrible earthquake destroyed this city in 17 AD. So we open in verse 1 of chapter 3 in a very similar fashion that we've seen with the other churches where Jesus tells them he knows their deeds and that they had a reputation of being alive but were now dead. And Jesus recognizes that this church was once alive and on fire for Christ, but the opposite of living was happening now and he was calling them a dead church. And of course, Jesus is referring to having a spiritual zeal for him. And now they were spiritually just dead, lifeless. And specifically, Jesus used the term reputation when describing the alive church. And this means that they were claiming to be Christians, but were not living as believers. Therefore, they were just dead to him. That is very, very stern. So remember the verse from Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's some pretty serious stuff right there. And I think it's one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. I never knew you. Depart from me. Wow. And as Christians, we know that works do not get us into heaven. However, a life devoid of Christ will be an empty vessel, and a life filled with Christ will reflect his image. And this image of Christ within us is lived out in a way that should be very evident. No, we can never be perfect, but we most certainly should be living out loud for Jesus. No one should ever have to guess or even ask 
if we believe in Christ because it should be completely evident in the way we're living. Our love for him should overflow in our lives as we crave his word. We work to share his love with others and we care for his people and live our lives in a pleasing manner to him. Verse 2 shows Jesus calling to these people. He tells them, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Well, what Jesus is telling this church is really to pay attention and turn back to him. What he means by strengthening what still remains is that, hey, there is still hope for them. However, if they didn't make some serious changes, that glimmer of hope would be gone. And Jesus then tells them they have unfinished business because you know what? Jesus always finishes what he started, and he expects no less from us, his believers. Well, as we go into verse 3, it is jam-packed with some great warnings. Here's the verse. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. The three main teaching points in the first part of verse three. Number one, remember what they had received and heard. It's basically telling them and us, remember from whom you came and don't forget the lessons that you've learned. The second is to obey it, which means the Bible. Reading and learning is only as good as how it is lived in your life. You can be a great scholar of the word, but if you're not living it out loud, you're not really obeying it. The third is to repent, which is to turn around and not return to your old ways. To give up the old life before Christ entered your life. The second half of verse 3 tells them what's going to happen if they fail to wake up and heed this warning, these three main points. Jesus would return like a thief and they would not know the time of his arrival. And most reading this verse believe it's referring to the rapture or the second coming. However, the warning here is that although we serve a very patient Lord, he will not wait forever. And just as we are to be ready for his second coming, we should always be living in expectancy of him as if he were just walk in the door right now. Whatever you're doing, would it be okay to be doing that in front of Christ. So verse 4 continues with, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. This is such a beautiful reminder to those who are holding firm and standing for Christ. They're not viewed by him as dirty or sinful. In fact, those of us who remain strong will be dressed like Jesus white and clean as we are deemed worthy. How beautiful is that promise? And in verse 5, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Jesus continues in his promise to his faithful servants that their name is secure in the book of life. Not only will our name be in the book, our name will be acknowledged before God and the angels. Can you just imagine this event and what that would be like? Your name being forever lifted up and exalted and celebrated? Sounds pretty good to me. As in the other letters to the churches, 
Jesus concludes this message to the church at Sardis to listen up and pay attention to this warning. So your truth bomb for this first section is Jesus is not interested in counterfeit Christians. Your call to action is, are there any areas of your walk with Christ that needs to be reawakened from slumber? Are you fully living out loud in your faith? And do others see him in you? All right, we're moving to the second church mentioned in chapter three, and we're going to call this one the Christ-led church. And this is chapter 3, 7 through 13. We're going to talk about Philadelphia. And the church at Philadelphia was not rebuked, much like the church at Smyrna. It was 48 miles from Laodicea, but due to the volcanic land nearby, this made it very, very fertile and made wine growing a great industry for this area. And this city also suffered a major earthquake in 17 AD. And remember, all of these areas are very close together. And so in verse 7, he begins with, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. So like he has done before, Jesus is clearly saying who he is. The references of the line of David showing that he descended from this line as was foretold. He also confirms that no one can take away what he offers and that the door can be shut permanently to those who deny him. It's a very, very, very stern warning, but it's also a very amazing promise. Verse 8 gives the church the comfort that they needed to hear. Jesus says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. And he affirms to them that they are safely in his bosom and that nothing in the world can change this. And he also tells them he knows they are weary, but have not given up nor have they denied Jesus in any way? And you all, Jesus understands weariness. Throughout the New Testament, we see many references of Jesus needing rest. And because he understands weariness and the need for rest, he can relate to this church. How proud Jesus must have been seeing this church as they experienced awful trials, challenges, and persecution, yet they stood strong. Have you ever had someone stand up for you when you have remained strong and everybody else seems to be against you? Well, it's a great feeling and one that provides us with much needed encouragement. Do you know a Christian brother or sister who is in need of receiving some much needed encouragement? Go to them and share some soothing words to help them as they continue to walk through the fire yet hold on to their faith. Verse 9 says, I will make those of you who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And here we see Jesus using that reference to a synagogue of Satan to those who are claiming to be Jews. Their claims are false because maybe you're born into a Jewish family or a Christian family, but you're not living that. So it's a big fat lie. 
Just like you cannot claim to be a Christian just because of your heritage, those who were born as Jews refuse to accept Christ. According to Christ, they are no longer considered to be Jews. That's why they hate Jesus so much. Christ denounces those who mock him and deny him and refuse to accept him. Your heritage will never save you because only Christ can do that. But sadly, many living today are living in a false sense of security because they have believing parents, or maybe it's even because they live here in a Christian nation, which sadly we're falling further and further away from being a Christian nation. And Jesus calls them and those of us who do that liars. And he tells it like it is. He tells them that at some point will come to the realization, whether in this life or in the next, that they were misled and wrong and that they will fall down and acknowledge that Jesus loves those who follow him. Verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. And we saw the same promise given to the church at Smyrna. Both of these churches are promised to be saved from the trial that will be coming to those who ignore and deny Christ. And then in verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And this is another beautiful promise by Christ that he will not stay away forever. We are encouraged to hold on, to stand firm, and to have faith. And when we do this, we will remain as royalty with him. And we will wear the crown of salvation that will never be removed. In verse 12, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Hmm, that's interesting. Jesus may have a completely new name, it sounds like. This is another packed verse full of promises to those of us who remain in Christ. Let's look at them. There's four of them. Number one. He says they will be a pillar. And structurally, a pillar is a strong column that helps to support the entire structure. And pillars stand strong and in a place of prominence. So you guys, those of us standing strong, we are considered a pillar of this church. That's a wonderful thing. Number two, he says in the temple of God. And so what that means is when we remain strong for Christ, we are the supporting structures for the church, the temple of God. Our role is essential for his kingdom. The number three, he says, never again will they leave it. The kingdom of God is permanent. Nothing can remove this promise from us. And four, that he will write his name and the new Jerusalem. And just like we saw in chapter 2 with the reference for receiving a new name on a white stone, here Jesus confirms this again with the church at Philadelphia. This again is a symbol of permanence and marks and seals us forever as His. Oh, 
so many beautiful promises to this church, and we also receive these same promises as we follow him. He understands how difficult it is and that there will be times that we fall. Yet, as we hold tightly to him, he will guide us and he will be there all the way to the end. Your truth bomb for this second section is, our beautiful Lord is our comforter and our shield. He cares deeply about every aspect of our lives. Your call to action then, as you experience persecution in this lifetime, and you will, how can you remain strong in your faith for him? Okay, now we're going to talk about the third church, the lukewarm church, Revelations 3, 14 through 22. That's actually Revelation 3, 14 through 22. We're looking at Laodicea. It's located about 40 miles southeast from Philadelphia. It was another very wealthy city because of its textiles and banking. And the Christians there were persecuted by the constant threat that they would lose their wealth if they didn't worship the emperor. Hmm, does that sound like today where they're threatening to look at all of our bank accounts and renounce things? Sounds very familiar. The Roman historian Tacitus recounts a great earthquake around 60 AD that destroyed the city of Laodicea. Let's start out with verses 14, which actually has names for Jesus. Here's what it says. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness and the ruler of God's creation. These are all wonderful names. So let's look at them. The Amen. In Hebrew, this was a very strong affirmation. It was a formal, solemn, earnest, basically saying, I agree, or I affirm what was just said, or this is true. Really, Amen means a very earnest yes in the context of addressing God. And when we realize that Amen and yes mean the same thing, in Christ Jesus, God says his yes to us through his promises, and Jesus is his promise to us. In Christ, we say our yes to God through prayer, through Jesus. How beautiful is that? The next thing is he's called the faithful and true witness. Nothing about Jesus is false, and therefore he is the only true witness. And because he is truth, he is faithful in all that he does and promises to us. The third name was ruler. Jesus is the king over all creation. Everything is under his control. Verse 15 begins the admonishment to the Laodiceans. Jesus says, I know your deeds and that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. And this is where Jesus hits them right between the eyes. He's telling them, that because they are not standing firmly for him and that being lukewarm for him is not an option. You guys, it's not an option. He tells them he wishes they would just be honest and choose a side as lukewarm Christianity simply does not interest him. And hot would refer to those who are on fire for Christ while cold refers to atheists. Friends, we have to pick a side. 
He's not happy if we're just have a toe half in and half out. And well, I'll just kind of live my life however I choose. He wishes we were either one. Let's go on to see some more of what he says on this. In verse 16, he says, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Y'all, the Greek word for spit translates to the word vomit. And this, as you know, is an explosive and vile act of ridding oneself of an undesirable thing. Therefore, Jesus is absolutely revolted with lukewarm followers. So you're either for him or you're against him. And unfortunately, many just want to walk down easy street, live their lives as they wish, while at the end of their life, expect to be in heaven and enjoy the good stuff. And a great question to ask people is, why would you want to live your entire life on earth, not invested or interested in Jesus, and then want to spend an eternity with him? It's a really good question to get people to think. That's a huge warning. We cannot just be going along our merry way and not living our life out loud for him. It's very clear how he feels about that. Verse 17 says, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This church and its people were very wealthy, and they were comfortable in their lives. They depended on their status, their money, and comforts of home, rather than on Christ. They were earthly wealthy, but spiritually, they were in deep poverty. And verse 18 says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover up your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Next, Jesus provides the church with his words of wisdom. He is giving them his counsel. So listen up. That's what he's saying. And he mentions three things in this verse that he would do for them. He mentions to buy gold that has been refined in the fire. And gold, of course, represents wealth. And the only true and eternal wealth comes from Christ himself. And refinement in a fire purifies metal. So refinement in our spiritual walk as believers refines us daily, purifies us daily as we continue to be sanctified. Next, he mentions white clothing again, meaning when they walk with him, they are no longer exposed in sin, in their nakedness of sin, but they're covered by Christ and walk in a newness. And finally, he mentions putting a salve on their eyes so that they could see. And two years ago, when we studied the book of John, when we came to chapter 9, where Jesus made mud from his spittle to place on the blind man's eyes, I did some digging into why he would have done this. And here's what I found. Jesus made a salve from his spittle. Can you see the connection to the word salve, S-A-L-V-E, to salvation? It's one of those moments when I connected this that took my breath away. So then I wanted to take the word apart into its Hebrew form, and this is what I found. Salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua. Not Yeshua, but Yeshua. The Hebrew language is broken down into symbols and sections, and each one has very specific meaning. So yah, yah, hand is the first part of Yeshua, yah, hand. His hands were pierced for our transgressions. 
That's what that first part means. Shin, which means front teeth, meaning he speaks for God. Two, he is second in the Trinity. Vah means tent pegs looking like a nail, referring to the nail in his hands. And this represents the tent's foundation, which means house. Tent actually means house and temple. And it has a hook like fishers of men. Then the last two parts, ayin, I, which is to see God, to know God, and to experience God. And then he is at the end, man with his arms raised, behold, reveal salvation, which is revealed through him on the cross. I know that's a lot, but when you take that word salvation in Hebrew and you break it down and you see how it just completely points to the Savior, it's pretty amazing. And salvation is Yeshua, Y-E-S-H-U-A-H, and Jesus, Yeshua, Y-E-S-H-U-A. They're also one letter apart. So interestingly, the words slave and salve have one letter, move the L. And when you move the letter to the right, we see a word that has to do with healing, the salve. (laughs) Just when you start to really see these connections, it just blows you away. Jesus replaces the bondage of sin with his healing salve. And as a new believer, we now have a spiritual vision and ability to see the things of God. Well, thank you for letting me go on that little rabbit trail. It's just so interesting. All right, let's finish up with verse 17. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Jesus is telling them and to us today that he loves us enough to take the time to rebuke and discipline us. If he didn't care so much, he would just allow us to self-destruct. But as any caring parent does, Jesus tells us that because his love is so great, He desires for us to turn from our sinful ways. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with them and they with me. Jesus announces, here I am. Right now, Jesus is available to all who call upon him. But there's a requirement. We have to first hear his voice. And in order to hear the voice of Jesus, we've got to acknowledge that he is our Lord and Savior. Then he will open the door to him and he'll come in and he will eat with us. And this means the breaking of bread and fellowshipping with him. Y'all, this is an invitation to spend time with the Almighty. And in verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So next, Jesus, who's our life coach, is telling us to hang in there. And when we do, we're going to be winners. And not only are we going to be winners, but we get to be on the winning team. And we get to hang out with Jesus. We get to sit on his bench. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. And I don't know about you, but I choose Team Jesus. So your truth bomb, Jesus will not tolerate lukewarm Christianity. And your call to action is, are you lukewarm with your faith? How are you living out loud for Christ and on fire for him? So these final three messages, 
Jesus gave to these churches once again gives us great direction on how we should be living. Christ calls his followers to be on fire for his kingdom. Don't waste his time by riding the fence of Christianity. And so to summarize, entire chapter 3, counterfeit and lukewarm believers are an insult to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for these lessons in these seven churches. We are now ready and prepared as we prepare to open up these next chapters in Revelation to see what you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com. Click on podcast and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.